And while you remain standing, congregation, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, going to read verses 17 through 31. Mark chapter 10. We've had a, a three-week hiatus from our series through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, at Christmas, we, the Sunday before Christmas, we focused on the incarnation of the Lord. And then the Sunday before New Year, we focused on uh, Christ making all things new. And then last week, uh, we uh, ordained an elder and focused upon uh, that relationship of the elders and the church. And so now we come back to the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're here at Mark 10, verse 17. Uh, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And brothers and sisters, this is his word. And as he, that is Jesus, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Well, let's pray. Father, would you bless your word to us this morning? We thank you for inspiring Mark to write and to record for us this event in the ministry of Jesus. And now, Lord, instruct us today. And may that word penetrate our hearts and bear fruit to the glory of your name. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please be seated. As we are looking at the Gospel of Mark, we are uh, at this point uh, in, in the midst of the ministry of Jesus. You know that uh, 
from the ages of about 30 to 33 was Jesus' public ministry, about three years, uh, where he, he uh, surrounded himself with the 12 disciples and uh, went around Galilee and then into Judea and uh, taught. He, he healed and uh, did many miracles, uh, preached and taught. And uh, we're in that, that section of the life of Jesus when he was involved in his ministry. And uh, one of the things we've been noticing thus far is that uh, as Jesus went about proclaiming the kingdom of God, that the disciples really failed to get it. Uh, the disciples kept missing the point. Uh, for instance, when uh, a couple chapters ago, when there was a man who was casting out demons in Jesus' name, uh, they told him to stop because he was not one of us. And Jesus said, don't stop him, let him continue. Or you recall last time uh, that uh, there were many parents who were bringing their little children to be blessed by Jesus. And the disciples uh, rebuked them and, and, and told them to go away. And Jesus said, do not hinder these little children from coming to me. And then he said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I don't think it's just a coincidence then that the very next event that Mark records for us is this one of the rich young man. In fact, I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write it this way so that we may see this rich man as an Ill, of the very illustration of what Jesus had just said. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is like a child. This passage, of course, is very well known. And there are some things that uh, would commend us to this young man who came to Jesus. Obviously, he ran up to Jesus. He, he knelt before Jesus. Uh, Mark, uh, Luke uh, says he was a rich young ruler. And there are some questions as to what exactly that means that might simply indicate that because he was a rich man, he was sort of of the upper crust uh, in society, and therefore he was, that was the, sort of the title given to him, ruler. Uh, but there are other scholars who believe that he had a, he had a position uh, in the synagogue. Uh, he had a position of authority in the synagogue, and therefore he was called a ruler. Uh, that might definitely be the case. And so uh, here is this man who likely had a, 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 a a place, a prestigious place in society who knelt before Jesus. That took some courage. We've been seeing how the, the Pharisees have been going after Jesus and, uh, you know, attacking Jesus at every point they could. Uh, they were in, in, in conflict with Jesus. Uh, but here is a young man who comes and he kneels before Jesus. And that took courage. Another thing is he had concern for eternal life. I mean, it meant something to him, at least. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he seems to be very earnest. And so these things uh, are appealing about this man. They commend this, this young man to us. But obviously, the passage 
shows us that this rich young man was actually very impoverished. He had great possessions, but he forfeited the greater possessions. He was very impoverished. That's what I want us to see. He had, he had a poor understanding of God. He had a poor understanding of himself. And he had a poor evaluation of eternity. So he was very impoverished. He had a poor understanding of God. First of all, he asks this question when he, he runs to Jesus, he falls on his knees before Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the very question indicates his poor, impoverished view of God, of who God is. You see, he was living before God with man's natural religion, our natural religion, that we somehow can do that which will earn us eternal life. He had a piety of achievement. There must be something I can do. What must I do? What must I do? Now, if this young man was a ruler in the synagogues, still, he, he, even if he was not, here he was, uh, a, a Jew living among Jews, respected, probably well-taught, in the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures at that point, but clearly he didn't understand what the scriptures taught. It could be that every Sabbath he would go and he would be, he would be under the, 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 the teaching of the rabbis, but he didn't understand who God is. He didn't, he didn't understand. He must have heard it, but he didn't, he didn't quite grasp when the Word of God says that all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags. He didn't quite get that. Understand that. That's quite a statement, isn't it? That all of our righteous... I mean, we, we get all of our sins are filthy, but God's Word tells us all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags. Before a holy, righteous God who is pure in all his ways, even the best we do, are as filthy rags. And yet he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't quite get that. He didn't quite understand when the, when the rabbis at the synagogue were teaching him and saying, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He didn't quite grasp or under, understand the whole Old Testament sacrificial system that's the very purpose is to show that the shedding of blood was necessary. It wasn't what we're going to do. Shedding of blood was necessary for us to gain eternal life. But 
he thought that he could somehow appease God through something that he could do. What must I do? There must be some contribution that I could make to be saved, to have eternal life. That's where he was. And I'm telling you, that's, that's man's natural religion. There must be something I can do. But the whole message of the Bible teaches that there's nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. What can dead people do? They stink. That's it. <laughs> what can dead people do? There's nothing we can do. God is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And what we need is a clean, pure heart. What we need is, is a new heart. What we need is new birth. And we can't conjure that up. We can't conjure it on, in our own, on our own. We need God himself to step in and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Not in this lifetime, not in a thousand lifetimes. We couldn't do it. Because God is holy, perfect, righteous, just. And there is nothing that defiles that can be in his presence. And so we're in a bad place left to ourselves. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ. We need God to step in and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's precisely the point of Scripture brothers and sisters. That's precisely the purpose from Genesis chapter 3 where we, we read of the fall of Adam to Revelation 22. It is proclaiming to us Jesus Christ. It's placarding to us. This is your salvation. It's not your own doing. It is God coming in in time and in history in, into this world to redeem sinners. And this is why Jesus says in these latter verses, and by the way, I'm intending this morning to preach really through verse 22, and then uh, next week, Lord willing, verses 23 to 31. Uh, there's a lot to chew in this passage. When I first was laying out my sermon series, I had this as one, uh, but uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, so we've got two weeks that we get to be in this passage, Lord willing. Uh, but we're looking today, and... and and Jesus says in these later verses, with man, it is impossible. That's the point. What must I do? You can't do anything. You cannot do anything. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, sadly, this is uh, offensive to many people. We want to pick ourselves up by our boot, bootstraps. That's kind of who we are. We're rugged individuals, you know. We, we have this uh, uh, sort of an American mindset that we can do it. No. No. 
And so this man shows by his question that he really doesn't understand who God is. Who God is. But brothers and sisters, the truth of God's sovereign grace. Grace. Not merit, not earning, it is grace. The truth of God's sovereign grace is a glorious, wonderful truth. And it alone gives sinners like you and me hope. Well, Jesus responds to the question, pointing out, you really don't understand who God is. He says, why do you call me good? He doesn't even answer the question, first of all. He just he goes to the, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. God alone is good. I think Jesus is there is doing a couple of things, uh, pointing out that, uh, well, obviously Jesus isn't denying that he's good. What Jesus is doing is identifying himself as God. Why do you call me good? Do you... Do you you rich young man, do you recognize that I am God? Because God alone is good. Do you get that? The rich young ruler wanted eternal life. But what is eternal life? Well, Jesus tells us very clearly in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, this is eternal life. He says, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, verse 3. And Jesus is saying, do you get this? Do you understand this? You know, Jesus actually is answering the question. But he is, he is answering it in a way I don't think that the guy was getting. He was, he's answering it in, in, in basically saying, I am God, and if you want eternal life, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one will come to the Father but through me. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Do you recognize me as God? But I think he's also answering the, the or at least beginning to answer the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When he said God alone is good. Because then what Jesus is saying is, you're not. So why are you asking what you can do? Because you're not. God alone is good. Your best acts, your best deeds are as filthy rags. God alone is good. Oh, we don't like to hear that, do we, today and. 2020. But that's not the only news. There's so much more here. But listen, then Jesus recites the law, right? He recites the second table of the law particularly. Jesus knows this young man. He knows where this young man is at. And so he recites the commandments. And I think what Jesus here is doing is, is, is he is pressing, you know, this this rich young ruler, or rich young man, he is pressing him, is the law of God just outward? 
and formal to you? Or has it penetrated your hearts? Is it, is it spiritual? Is it inward and spiritual? Is it outward and formal or inward and spiritual? Has the law really penetrated? You know, I mentioned before about Paul in Romans chapter 7. And Paul says, when the law came, you shall not covet. He says, sin sprang up and I died. Now here's Paul. After many years, Paul was a, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He, he knew the law. Growing up and, and as, a, as a young man, he knew the law. He studied it. He studied under Gamaliel. He knew it well. Uh, and uh, uh, up to this point, he was thinking of himself as a good commandment keeper, law keeper. I, I've kept the law of God. And then he said, when, then I... I, I it's, all of a sudden, the law came to me. And he uses the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, as a, the example. And he said, sin sprang up in me and I died. All of a sudden, I recognized, as what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, you shall not kill. But I say to you, if you hate you've broken the commandment. You shall not commit adultery. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you're guilty. The, the, the law goes deeper than just outward acts. For many years, Paul saw himself as a law keeper, a commandment keeper, and then it penetrated into his very being, into his very soul, and he saw himself for the first time as he truly was, dead. And so I think Jesus here is, is pressing that with this young man. You know the law. And Jesus is answering the question really in this way. You need the law. But you need the law to convict you. And prepare you to receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Nothing in my little children, they don't own, they don't have possession, they don't own all these things. They don't think that they can somehow earn. They're humbled. Nothing in my hands I bring. They're trusting. So Jesus is answering the question. You need the law, but has the law done its work in you? Has the law done its work? Well, then, of course, the answer of this young man it reveals to us that not only did he have a poor understanding of God and who God is, he had a poor understanding of himself. All of these I have kept since my youth. I've done it. All of these. I have. Aren't I good? <laughs> I just, what, what more can I do? All of these I have kept since my youth. It seemed like, you know, it, it seemed like he came to Jesus knowing that not all was well. He, you know, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It seems like there, there, there's something in him that indicated that I'm not there yet. 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? But sadly, at this point, he did not understand himself. And so Jesus gives his radical diagnosis of this man, one thing you lack. You lack one thing. I don't know, you know, it's, it's interesting thinking about what this man must have thought when he heard those words. One thing you lack. Is it really? Oh, just one thing? <laughs> well, I'm sure I could do one thing. I'm sure I'm, I'll be able to accomplish the one thing, Lord, that I'm lacking. What is it? What is the one thing? That sounds easy. Sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come, follow me. You know, Jesus knew that the one thing that hindered this man's coming to him was, was really himself, the man himself. His own pleasures, his own comforts, his own possessions, his own things. So that the one thing that he lacked was huge. It was huge. One thing you lack. It was the, whatever that one thing was, was big enough to keep him from heaven. From eternal life. And really what Jesus is pointing out is, I, you know, you, you could say this in many ways, but, you know, he, he stumbled over the first commandment. You should have no other gods before me. Clearly, this man had other gods before the true, holy, righteous God. You think that you have, you think that you have kept commandment 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10? Let's just go to number one and let's see how you do. And the man failed. He stumbled over the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, this man was an idolater. And Jesus is asking who or what reigns in your life? Who or what reigns is supreme? Sell all that you have. You see, Jesus knew his heart. Knew that he was a wealthy man. Knew that he was resting in the comfort of his wealth. So Jesus went for the jugular. Sell everything. Give to the poor. You'll have riches in heaven. Treasures. Follow me. Jesus here is speaking to an individual, a particular man with a particular idol. And we're going we're gonna to, you know, we're going to dig into this some more next week, but just to, you know, having wealth is not wrong in and of itself. We, I think, all recognize that that is true. Uh, the Bible speaks uh, about those who are wealthy, who were faithful to the Lord, uh, like Abraham uh, and, uh, and many others. And so it, it isn't wealth per se, but if that wealth is an idol. And, you know... 
if you're like me, you know, and I think about the, the passage like this, and, you know, I'm like any of you, I'm sure, we're, we're all, we, we, we like having, you know, money in the bank, we like having nice furniture and, you know, a decent car that we can count on that's going to run. We, we like these things. These are, these, these are nice. At what point do they become an idol? See, that's where, that's, you know, where we have to really pursue what's in our hearts. What's in our hearts. But money isn't the only idol, of course. There are many idols of destruction. Though Jesus does warn, and we're going to look at that particularly about money and wealth and how dangerous it is. But what Jesus is not saying to everyone everywhere, you need to go sell everything you have. That's not, that's not the message that we need to hear from this passage. But for this man, his wealth was the reigning idol at the center of his being. It was the, the, the God, small g, that reigned in his life. And what we need to hear in this is, are there unconquered idols reigning in my life? It might be money. I think for a lot of people in North America, it is money. But it could be sports, could be recreation, could be sex, it could be people, it could be your family. I mean, there can be good things that become idols. Is there an unconquered idol in your life, in your heart, something that matters to you more than the God who gave his son for you? Is there something in your life that is your idol? So that's where Jesus is going at. That's where Jesus is pressing. Because the summary of the law is you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And Jesus was just pointing out, you, are, you rich young man, are not there. <laughs> that's not where you're at. Well then, the rich young man had not only a poor understanding of God and poor understanding of himself, he had a, a poor evaluation of eternity. We read, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He weighed in the balance of what he possessed here on earth, significant. He had, the Bible tells us he had great possessions, significant. And what he might possess for eternal life, he, he weighed that and he decided, uh, I'm going to stick with this. <laughs> or he was, he was using an earthly calculator, not an eternal calculator. You know, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, that's the great heroes of the faith chapter. By faith, Enoch, by faith, 
Abraham. Well, when it comes to Moses, it says, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. When Moses weighed what he could have, all of his earthly possessions with the eternal, he came and he said, oh, this is what I, this is what I want. I, this can go. This is what I want. Moses calculated with a heavenly, eternal calculator, not with an earthly one. This rich man missed it. He missed it. He didn't understand it. Brothers and sisters, if there's nothing we can do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There is nothing. Jesus comes, God sent Christ into this world to save sinners. And all that we are to do is to receive. We are to receive. That's it. Which isn't a doing. It's an open hand. Faith is the open hand that receives Christ and all his benefits. We are to receive. Perhaps his sorrow, this rich young man's sorrow, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I think, well, it's, it, it's at least it's a hopeful sign. He went away sorrowful. There, Something that Jesus said, that the, the barb stuck, and, 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 and it affected him in some way. He went away sorrowful. Hopefully, we don't know this. The Bible doesn't tell us this. Uh, my hope is that at some later point, that sorrow led to repentance, and this young man was saved. And there are some uh, scholars who say that, particularly when they read that Jesus loved him, uh, you know, in the passage that we read, and... and Became a, that it became a saving faith, but we don't know that. The Bible is silent on that, but I, do, I think the issue is, and, and this is given to us so that we may ask, is it well with my soul? Is it well with my soul? Is it well with my soul? You see, Jesus is the key. Have you ever come to the point you see, and this is where this rich man failed. My sin is great and is a wall of separation between me and a holy, righteous God. We have to come there and understand that that is the case because only then will we flee to Jesus and that mountain of sin, we're not talking about one sin, are we? We're talking about Mount Everest <laughs> for each of us. We're talking about the mountain of sin, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. This is my, one of the favorite lines in all of hymnody. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. Have you come there? Has that penetrated your heart? There's nothing that I can bring but my sin. Oh, the bliss 
How can we sing a song like that? My sin, oh, the the bliss of this glorious thought. How, How could we do that? We don't get it then. We haven't, it hasn't penetrated us. But when you're singing words like that, when, you, when you're reading the scriptures and saying that Christ came to save sinners and that he accomplished it and he was raised for our justification, how, how can you take that lightly? You see, Christ is the key. It all rests in him. He is the pearl of great price. He is our eternal treasure. When you weigh what you have here on earth in the balance to eternity, which is going to win? Which is going to win? You may have great possessions, but if you pick those great possessions, you're going to forfeit the greater possessions. The greater possessions. Eternity with Christ. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, this is the passage we studied this past week in our Bible study in 2 Corinthians. He speaks of himself as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul got it. In this world, he didn't have much, but he possessed everything in Christ.